Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Chapel Hill. Well, I'm thankful. I want you to know I'm thankful for you guys. I mean, seriously. As this we passed nine years of first planting a church and then pastoring this congregation, it's nothing without God bringing all the people of the family of heaven and coming in here. And it's just awesome every Sunday to see this person has a song, that person has a word, this person had a dream, that person has a confirmation, this person has an administration. How many people love the flow of all that the Holy Spirit has for his church? And I'm going to tell you, there's some women in this room that God has used mightily, and there's other women that he's going to use mightily. Sometimes you've gotten a message that you're not equipped, you're not empowered to teach or to share or to preach or to prophesy. And I want to tell you that biblically, that's not true. There's been some bad press out there, and I'm doing this, these messages to, because I feel like it's a critical hour. I feel like the billion soul harvest is upon us, and God needs all of his church to step forward in your rightful call and destiny. Come on, Deanna. I'm glad you're here this morning. And then Deanna, since she was a 10th grader, 9th grader in high school, I was actually her high school teacher in another city. And I know what the call of God is on her life. And like my daughter below you, Anna Grace, who's 15, I probably met you when you were 15. I see a call of leadership on her life. And I don't want any bad theology or demonic intimidation to stand in her way from rising up in the authority of heaven, just like you, Deanna. And so you can take that as a prophetic word. (laughs) Just latch on to that if you want. Um, last week, we were looking back to the garden and talking about Eve, and we called that um, women in ministry, the restoration. So going from the Eve, remember what the devil stole in the garden, Jesus recaptured in a garden where he prayed, and he sweated tears of blood, and he ultimately got it back at the cross. Amen. Amen. And we looked at the Jerusalem council and had a reflection on how similar in those issues But I want to be clear about something as I get going here about this series, just to not be misunderstood, hopefully. This series is about God's heart and plan for people. This series is about God's, like Sarah said, this isn't putting men down. Not quite the opposite. This series is about restoration of God's heart and plan for men, women, children, all ages, all ethnicities, all socioeconomic backgrounds, every nation, tribe, and tongue. Amen. This is Bible. Everybody say Bible. This is what the Bible, the story of God's written word is all about. As Genesis 1.27 records, both were created in the image of God. Male and female, he created them and said, now go have authority in the earth. Therefore, they are equally important in getting a full picture of who our God is and what he wants to express through all of our lives and ministries. As I was preparing for this, I was reflecting back a few years back on Mother's Day. I took the opportunity, being the holiday, to preach a message called the Mother Heart of God. You know what the mother heart of God tends to look like? John 14, 15, and 16, and the Holy Spirit, the comforter, 
the teacher, the encourager, the exhorter. Did anybody have a mother like that? It's not that it's just exclusively that, but we do know that men and women are different, right? When my kids, I don't know about yours, but when they scraped their knee and fell down, did they run first going, Daddy, Daddy, can you bandage me up? No, probably not. Mommy! Not that Dad wouldn't or that Dad couldn't, but there is just something tender in the Father heart of God that has all of these characteristics. Are you guys all right? I hope I'm not stepping on any toes already. It's important to get a complete picture because he wants to express through all of our lives and ministries. Now, there's obvious physical differences between men and women. There are God-ordained roles for each within the home and the church. I want to be clear on that. This series is intended to inform, to empower, and to equip the church for the fullness of what God has planned for us In this season, like I said, of a billion soul harvest ahead that's been prophesied for many years. We need everyone, men and women, adults and children, every race and ethnicity, empowered, equipped, and operating in who God has called them to be and to do in his kingdom. How many were here last week when we prayed for Abby? Where are you, Abby? Wave your hand back there. She got to be here again. It wasn't her last Sunday. This will be it, though, right? As she heads back to the Middle East, we brought her husband up on the TV screen via WhatsApp, FaceTime, and we had to pray for them. And it, it's like as, as Abby's standing there, I'm just seeing this incredibly beautiful young woman that God has called and ordained and destined for evangelism. She was sharing with me that that's what our heart burns for, is that all would know the gospel. Come on, preach. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Preach, share the gospel in the way that God has created you. We need everybody to be equipped for this and who God's called them to be for his kingdom. So write this reference down. I shared this last week. Galatians 3.28. Galatians 3.28, you might be familiar with it. Again, Galatians was the first letter Paul ever wrote. Paul got bad press, by the way. I'm going to share that in part four or five. Um, but in his dissertation on grace, the first thing he ever wrote to the church, what does he say? He says, there is now no longer. Everybody say no longer. longer. Why does he use the phrase no longer? Because in the law, there was, there was a difference. There was a separation. Even anyway, I'm not going to go there too deep, but there is now no longer Jew or Gentile. In the law, was there Jew and Gentile? Yes, of course there was. There was the Jewish people that God gave specific prohibitions for and things that they were to operate in and not do, right? But now he's saying we've all become, what is he saying, another letter, the one new man. It's Jew and Gentile. Did you know if you're not a Jew as a Gentile in Christ that you're adopted Jew? You're adopted into the Jewish people. Because it's all one race. It's the human race. Amen. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in who? In Christ Jesus. I think that's premise number one. Because my heart now is, okay, listen, you guys sitting here in these chairs, you may have already been convinced. This may be an amen corner, and that's okay. 
Even if that's so, the main goal of this series, or one of them, is to equip you with sound biblical theology on the issue of women in the church, women in ministry specifically, in order that you may be able to share with others. In my intro last week, I was talking about on campus, Michael could tell you, this is huge. You see this issue all the time. I hear it from campus leaders, from other students. Um, I even heard from a, a young adult in, in, in the Christian dating scene that happened to be a young woman who was on a few different dates, not just one, where a Christian young man, this issue came up, and I'm like, I don't think this is going to work out. <laughs> this was the young lady saying this. Because of the religiosity that surrounds this issue, and it's so interesting. Um, and then I've heard from a high school student in a Christian school who was confronted by teachers regarding this issue and their belief on the, you know, a certain belief about women in the church. And so add to that my own prayerfulness regarding this issue, and I'm like, okay, Lord, it's time to share what the Word says and to stand for the truth of his word and all these things, so that the church may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what he encouraged Timothy, okay? Are you guys all right now? Yeah. Now, let me ask you about this verse, Psalm sixty-eight, eleven. Have you ever seen or heard this verse quoted before? Have you ever seen, have you ever heard a message on it, heard it taught on? I'm going to um, say, no, I, I hadn't. Like, this was brand new to me until I discovered it. And it's just so extremely interesting. Psalm 68, 11. Look at this. The Lord gives the command. The women who proclaim good news are a great army. What? Is anybody thankful for these three women that were just doing battle? with? I mean, we, they were just taking us in. Experience the glory of his presence and go into warfare for the kingdom. What was that song that we sang about the weapon? Worship is my warfare. I mean, you could just feel it like the heartbeat of God. I'm feeling like a spiritual Joan of Arc in the room arising. How many people are thankful for a prayer warrior like Pamela Ransahaw? And a prophetic heart of God like Laura Chevalier. Again, and all the men in the room. Because this is about, this is not about, again, women arising and men lowering. No, quite the opposite. Do not, men, allow the, the enemy. That wouldn't be right. Do not let the scheme of the enemies think that somehow you need to, like, get under or, 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 or be lesser than in your anointing. Absolutely not. Quite the opposite. But the Lord gives the command. It's interesting. The women hear the Lord's command in this verse. The Lord says go. They hear the command. The women proclaim the gospel. One of my favorite worship songs is this is the gospel right now. This is the gospel. This is the good news. It's a powerful song. And the women who proclaim the gospel are a great army. Kings of armies flee. They flee. And she who remains at home will divide the spoils. Now that one, that's a good verse right there. I'm going to put that on my lock screen. It's the modern day mirror. It's, it's my lock screen. 
A few years ago, um, who knows who Dr. Ed Silvoso is? Powerful man of God. I met him once. He was a, a participant in like the, the next wave of the great Argentine revivals. He wrote a powerful book I'd highly recommend called Women, God's Secret Weapon. He was right in that subtitle. Whatever the devil thinks that he has won, Jesus redeemed and has used it over the centuries for his glory. He writes this. One of the most fascinating verses in the Bible is the one we just read, Psalm 68.1, which describes a company of women who proclaim good news. This intriguing part is not, woman, is not the woman preaching the gospel, but the fact that in this particular case, they're convened by the Lord to destroy his enemies. Yeah. See, I believe there were enemies of the spiritual. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. There were enemies of Israel, of these hostages, of all that we were praying for in that segment. And as the women lifted up their voices along with the men and the children, then this is what the results are. So he writes to to convene by the Lord to destroy his enemies. They do such a great job that kings and armies flee in total disarray, making it possible for these women to also loot the enemy camp. That's so good. However, at the beginning of the Bible, he goes on, the first expression of spiritual warfare involves a woman and the devil, Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Apparently, it was not meant to be an isolated incident because immediately after the encounter, God decreed that the woman and her seed would do what? Would stomp, would crush the enemy's head, would oppose the devil forever in verse 14 and 16. He continues, as I searched the scriptures, Dr. Silvoso writes, in my quest for answers, I found that God is deeply interested in seeing men and women reconciled, first to himself and then to each other. Obviously, he is neither a feminist nor a bigot. We know that he is both male and female because he created men and women to reflect that dual self-image, as we read in Genesis 1.27. He is for reconciliation, and he has plans for men and women to minister side by side in an unprecedented worldwide harvest of souls. God also intends to use women alongside men in a surprise attack to crush Satan's head when the moment comes to put everything and everyone under Jesus' feet. Women are fascinating, he concludes. Eve's creation crowned the most intense period of divine creativity on planet Earth. The way God went about it reveals that women are twice refined and that such refinement has a lot to do with God's plans for them in the final days. Some of you got healing last week. There was some reconciliation and some, some apologies and, and some, some inner trauma, perhaps, or inner pain, let's just say it that way, um, among some of you ladies that I'm, I'm praying that the Lord would, would heal. Because how many know that we can't fully step into our destiny until we've been fully healed in those areas? Because often the enemy, can he doesn't know everything, but he can see where you're calling, my lie. And so he will attack you at the very place for which you're called. So I remember, if Eva, is it all right if I pick on you for a minute? I remember as Eva began leading worship seven, eight years ago now. 
it was like almost on a weekly basis, it was a battle for her. Is that accurate? It was just like, and she would sing as beautiful as an angel, just like she did this morning. And she would play skillfully. And the word, and the, the presence was amazing. Many of us were there. And then she would walk off the stage and sometimes be in tears and just being just battled, not by any person particularly, but just by this thing. Why? Because the very place of warfare was a place where the enemy tried to come and steal, where she would go to Israel and lead the worship as she's already done a few times. She would be here and just strumming her instrument and singing and worship becomes her warfare. And you see how the enemy tried to attack her. And so she's been through this process now where God has healed that place of her heart and she can walk with confidence. And that's a perfect illustration of what I believe God wants to do for many, many people. And this isn't just exclusive to women. I mean, this could be for every, any individual in this place. Whatever the place of pain and woundedness is in your life is probably a clue to something. It's a clue that that might be the very place where God wants to use you. And he's going to. Yeah, he intends to finish what he starts. I don't know if you've noticed that about God, but let me give you this illustration that we've already alluded to it. And you guys know this. For the last six weeks, the demonically inspired Hamas has been holding at first 245 hostages in Gaza in this brutal war. And um, among them was a young mother. I'm going to butcher her name, but Doron Katz Asher. Um, Do we have that picture on the screen? Uh, Yeah, there she is. She was um, kidnapped and held for 65 days with her two young children, ages two and four. Two weeks after their capture, my wife, Sarah Ruth, preached a powerful message here entitled, You Are Not Alone. Remember that? In that message, she pointed out that all fear is based on a lie. And that lie is, I'm alone. She encouraged the church to deal with the lie and fear will die. You should go listen to the podcast if you weren't here. You never know how what is being preached and released into the spiritual atmosphere in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, may affect a mother and her children half a world away underneath the ground being held as a captive in Israel. You never know. You never know. You never know how the spiritual atmosphere will be affected by our warfare, by our words, by the weapon of our warfare that, in this case, a woman presented and preach with power and authority. Now, here's where it's interesting. In the meantime, last week, just like is out there on your way in, Pamela Ransahoff, um had all the, the current hostages laid out on the table and prayed for these hostages as a part of our plea to God to save both Jew and Arab in this conflict and bring peace to Jerusalem. Pamela had printed out the faces and names like you just saw on the screen. Um, of the 200-plus remaining hostages and asked us to adopt one or two to hold up in prayer this week. Sarah Ruth chose her. In fact, this picture is a screenshot from her phone. She had it on her phone so that she could daily lift Doron, Katz, Asher, and her two young children up in prayer. She prayed diligently for her and her two babies this week, and God answered her prayer. She was of the first group to be released. You see, 
the power of what God has put inside of us, the devil would love to steal that seed in any way that he can. Let me remind you that there was all this hubbub in Jesus' ministry about the Sabbath. Do you remember that? Is the Sabbath and the keeping of the Sabbath in the law? Yeah, it was in the law of Moses. But the rabbis of the day had made thousands, probably hundreds or thousands of extra laws that they had added to it in order to hopefully everyone to keep everybody holy in keeping the law. So those extra rules and regulations were not actually the law, but they seemed to have a form of godliness. But what was the problem? They denied the power. And this is what Paul instructed the church that in the last days, this is what's going to set upon the church. So what did they do to Jesus surrounding the Sabbath? You cannot be the Messiah because you healed that man's crippled arm on the Sabbath. The Messiah would never do that. He's like, oh, really? Well, if your animal fell into a ditch on the Sabbath, are you just going to leave him there? No, that'd be stupid. You're going to get him out of the ditch. He's like, that's not who our father is. So you expand, just like we used the Jerusalem Council last week as an analogy, you expand all the hubbub around the Sabbath, and you put it in the context of this issue that we're talking about. It's very, very similar, and it's very much the same strategy of the devil to keep a whole percentage of the population less than. And if, if not overtly feeling that way, feeling that way. I wasn't raised this way, by the way. I wasn't, I, I feel a different perspective in my heart. In other words, our church culture growing up was not exactly this. I honor that culture. It was a great culture, as many of us had. But in terms of a woman teaching in the church, it just wasn't quite there, you know, or being ordained. As I said last week, Philip said to Jesus in in John 14, this is another reference to equip you in your conversation with somebody, is John 14, 8 through 10. Write that down, John 14, 8 through 10. Here it is on the screen. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll be sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me, Jesus, has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Remember this, Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is perfect theology. That should be your next point. That's our next premise. Anything you can't find in the very Son of God, you have reason to question. It doesn't mean that an interpretation of Paul's writings are not there. Sorry, it doesn't mean Paul's writings are not there. It just may mean that the interpretation and the application of his writings are not what you thought or not what you were taught. I want to equip you. My prayer is that this is not just head knowledge, but that the Lord would really get to our hearts Set us free from pain, fear, abandonment, and where needed, prompt us to repent, which means to change the way we think, literally change the pattern of thoughts that we have had. So I want to pray, come Holy Spirit.
Come, Holy Spirit. Just continue to move throughout this room as you are always doing. And Lord, we just yield our hearts. We, t- we take you at your word, Lord, and we ask you to help us to understand this Bible in the very way in which the Holy Spirit inspired it when it was written. Amen. Amen. Here's the bottom line. Jesus loves people. Especially those that the world and or religion has commonly cast aside, looked down upon, or put in a theological box. Jesus is a box breaker. Today, let's look at some of the women surrounding Jesus and his ministry and learn from his interactions with them. But first, Mary. You remember Mary, the teenage girl chosen to serve God by mothering Jesus? Isn't it interesting that God the Father in his sovereign plan chose to birth the Redeemer, the Savior, through a young woman? I mean, after all, he could have just supernaturally manifested Jesus from the dust, as he did with Adam. In fact, wasn't he called the second Adam? So why didn't he just do that? Or he could have just had an adult Jesus descend from the clouds like he's going to do at his second coming. Because he before he was, I am, from the beginning. So why didn't he just come down out of the clouds? Poof, he's here. Well, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, you know this from Luke 2, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of King David, David, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. <laughs> this is Luke one twenty six. actually. I'm sorry. Luke one twenty six. if you want to jot that one down. Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. That alone, that's a controversial statement. That the Lord is with a woman. In this context of first century Palestine, confused and disturbed, that's probably why she's confused. That's a nonsensical statement. How could that be said to me? I'm just a young woman. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the name, the throne of his ancestor David, and will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. In verse 38, how did Mary respond? I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. I don't have time to get into the shame that she would carry for the rest of her life. Can you imagine going to your family and friends and be like, it's not what you think. I'm not, you're not married. It's not what you think. Do you, can you imagine trying to, ma- even if you could make the explanation, do you think anybody would believe you? Very few. Let it be unto me according to your word. I feel the tenderness and humility and the yieldedness in this young woman. It's powerful. Dr. Silvoso says on this passage, look at how Mary fared compared to Zechariah in the previous chapter, or in that same, earlier in that chapter of Luke 1, the father of John the Baptist, y'all know who I'm talking about, who received a similar, although not as dramatic, revelation. 
When the angel announced to each of them that they were going to have miracle babies, Zachariah, through a reversal of his wife's barrenness, and Mary, through the virginal birth, each one asked questions. In response, Zachariah was penalized with muteness, while the angel commended Mary. Why? I don't think it was just about gender, but because Zachariah's inquiries were motivated by unbelief. Whereas Mary's reflected a sincere desire to better understand God's message. And here is what the angel proclaimed in Luke 2.10. And so the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So if I don't get a Christmas message come towards Christmas, you just got yours. All right, it's, it's done, check. No, I'm joking. You can, there's a sense of a second Eve that can be felt here. Of course, God's favor is not just on women, right? Yet just as he chose Eve to be a suitable companion for Adam, he chose Mary, a young woman, to be the one human being on which he had placed his favor and a proclamation Like in Psalm 68, verse 11. Do you remember what we read? That the company of women would proclaim what? The good news. And this is what it said in Luke 10. I bring you good news of great joy. It's the gospel. This is the good news. Dr. Silvoso continues. See, women have an extraordinary sensitivity to spiritual things. Every man knows that from your wife. This is why Jesus was able to reveal two of the most powerful truths in the Gospels to women. He told Martha that he is the resurrection and the life, John 11. And he told the Samaritan woman that he is the living water in John 4. The women were in a state of confusion when Jesus found them. But both were able to hear, understand, and believe profound truths. Think for a moment of the millions of people in the last 2,000 years whose lives have been transformed by these truths. Like I said, and we'll get into this later perhaps, but there's roles that God has gifted us in as men and women. In fact, speaking of the, the extraordinary spiritual sensitivity, I pretty much don't make any decision in our family without getting her, especially her spiritual input into it. I just, and if we do have a difference, you know what I do? I'm not saying this is the gospel. I'm just saying I wait. I just wait. Whether it's a big purchase or a nation I want to travel to or something I feel like God is saying to me, I'm running it by her a lot. I mean, because we're one, right? And it's awesome, the, the co-union that he's placed within us to bounce these things and then come up to what is really the Lord saying. Because how many know that sometimes any person, not just men, but especially men, I think, we can get the right word, but the wrong interpretation. But we might get the right interpretation, but we don't have the application. You see, and that's where, as I've taught you, that's where a lot of prophetic words go askew. Is It's the right word, but 
the interpretation of the word and the application of it, the carrying out in your everyday life is not quite what God had intended. And that's where I think the sensitivity and this oneness is so powerful. So husbands and wives really dive into that and continue to journey together, as I'm sure you are in this. So let's look a little further at one of these interactions. You guys are familiar with this passage in Luke 8, Jesus and, and the woman with the issue of blood. So for those who aren't, let's read these verses, Luke eight forty one. Jot that one down. There came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. I, I never noticed the gender before in these stories, but that's interesting. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment. That's very controversial. And immediately her flow of blood stopped and Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, I didn't touch you. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't touch you. <laughs> when all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, no, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. We know what happens in that part of the story. He goes and raises her from the dead, as Jesus had the habit of doing. You see, guys, in the first century, rabbinic thought, the teachings of the rabbis, men were primary. Women were secondary. This is just the reality. The religious male leaders looked on women as other, even formulating religious law to treat women more as objects than as persons in their own right. How startling then to see in this passage Jesus making his way through the crowds at the request of an important man to heal a little girl, stop to respond to the silent cry of a woman. To Jesus, the woman was at least as important as the man was, for both their needs were urgent. In Jewish culture at this time, again, a, women, a woman's cycle demanded a man and the community to completely separate from the woman based on the law in Leviticus 15.31. If this was not carefully carried out, mere contact with a bleeding woman could constitute and justify an early death. Now do you see, against this background, it is striking to see Jesus' untroubled reaction to the woman touching him. Even more striking than, even more striking than that, rather than contaminating Jesus, this woman's touch released a flow of spiritual power from him that cleansed her. See, there would have been grounds to take severe action for a woman who's in that condition, not only to be around people, but to then go and touch a man. That would be strictly forbidden. 
And you see the heart of Father God. You see it exemplified in this God-man, our Savior, our Messiah, Jesus. Be healed in Jesus' name. Anybody know who Amy Simple McPherson was? Let me take a pause from the scripture to put all this in focus beyond the book of Acts or or the gospel record. Jesus uses 20th century women also. This is an excerpt from God's Generals by Roberts Learden. There she is. Born 1890, died 1944. Amy Sybil McPherson has been as described as a woman born before her time. Born October the 9th, happens to be our anniversary. 1890, we haven't been married that long. Uh, Amy was the spiritual pioneer who paved the way for the rest of us and should be considered largely responsible for the way we demonstrate Christianity today. Amy defied all odds. Her life story portrays her as a woman alive and dramatic. There was nothing mellow about her. To her, a challenge was fair game to be taken up and conquered. She rode on the wave of the media and actually directed its course in Los Angeles. If publicity seemed bad, she hyped it further, smiling all the way. If everyone warned her against uh, doing something, she was apt to do the opposite, refusing to bow to fear. In fact, there was nothing too radical for Amy Simple McPherson. Whatever it took to get to the people, Amy did it. She sat with the publicans and prostitutes, showing up in places where the average Christian was afraid to go. The poor, the common, and the rich all loved her for it, and they showed up at her meetings by the thousands. But of course, religion hated her. Big shocker there. When denominational politics seemed to hinder and wound so many ministers, Amy rarely gave them thought. She demolished religious seclusions and narrowness, seemed to almost pity those controlled by its grip. Amy set about building a ministry so vast and so great in Los Angeles that even Hollywood came to her to take notes because she put on theatrical presentations within her church and her ministry. In a time when women were only recognized as an accessory to ministry, Amy built Angelus Temple to include them. The temple was built and dedicated during the Great Depression and was an elaborate building that could seat 5,000 people. When the building filled three times each Sunday, Amy ventured even further. She built the very first Christian radio station in the world and founded one of the fastest-growing denominations today, the Four Square Church, a leading Pentecostal denomination. Amy lived during the height of the Pentecostal movement that was full of the do's and don'ts of religion, when women in general weren't accepted in the ministry. And we go back to another one. What about Jesus at Mary and Martha's house? You remember that one? We'll wrap it up with this one. In Luke 10, 38, it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled by many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken from her. 
See, in a society that emphasized marriage for both men and women, Mary and Martha's unmarried state was a disgrace from the beginning. Thus, they lived with their only brother who inherited the estate, Lazarus. When Mary sat down to learn at Jesus' feet, Martha became angry. In first century Judaism, men, not women, were supposed to learn from the rabbis. It may well be that Martha's agitation is not so much a reflection of her need for kitchen help as it is anxiety at Mary's inappropriate behavior. Because historical evidence from the time period shows that studying was considered inappropriate for women. First century, for example, Rabbi Eliezer is quoted as saying this, they shall burn the teachings of the Torah rather than convey them to women. Gosh. So Mary, sitting and learning at Rabbi Jesus' feet was a bold step. Dr. Sue and Larry Richards write, after hearing Martha's complaint, Jesus did what no rabbi of his time would have considered. He affirmed Mary's action, saying, Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. In making this statement, Jesus was not denigrating the tasks women perform for their families. Rather, Jesus was opening the door to women, to a privilege that had long been denied them. Women, like men, are invited to listen to Jesus and to grow into spiritual maturity. See, that was revolutionary for the day. Today in our churches, many debate whether a woman can teach. Despite the intensity of the debate today, that issue is hardly as inflammatory as the issue Mary's bold action raised in the first century. Are women capable of mastering God's word? Are women called to be students of the scriptures and disciples of Jesus? In first century Palestine, the answer would have been certainly not. Jesus' affirmation, though, of Mary's eager desire to learn from him opened a door for women that had long been closed. Jesus' affirmation of Mary should lead those of us who would deny the privilege of teaching to women to question whether our attitude toward women and the word reflects the, the view of women held by the Pharisees or the view of women held by our Lord and Savior. Guys, this is an important fact because when next week we get into women being recognized and used and ordained in gospel ministry in the New Testament and interpreting Paul's writings in the New Testament, remember, you must interpret Paul through the lens of Jesus. You understand that? So what I'm laying a foundation for is that, because you have to see this interaction and this, comp- this affirmation of Mary in the heart of God the Father, then we go into writing what Paul is writing to the church. Are you guys all right? This is the conclusion. Next week, so um, <laughs> you're all right over there. Last week, um, you know, we talked about the restoration. This part is part of the redemption process. Next week, I want to go into um, the Samaritan woman and the female disciples who follow Jesus. Um, and then in two weeks, I'm calling it the affirmation. Paul's use of women in ministry. Many people don't know about this. 
And then the final week is the refutation. The women in Corinth dealing with difficult statements of Paul. I know this is a little different for River Life. You know, teaching and equipping. Not that we don't teach and equip, but, you know, I'm kind of putting my teacher hat on. I hope there's a little bit of preach. Is there a little bit of preach coming out? Okay. Get a little stirred up. But sometimes we need to be thoroughly taught and equipped. Again, because I feel like this is very prophetically applicable to the days in which we live and the times that we're going into. It's very important. I don't even think we may know exactly. Can I just close with one more quote from Dr. Ed? Not Mr. Ed, not to be confused. For you old timers, the talking horse. Dr. Ed's not the talking horse. Dr. Ed Silvoso, he calls this back in the garden. This is a very powerful conclusion. Let us revisit the moment after the fall. If you could picture this in your mind's eye. When Eve stood next to her husband Adam and faced God's inquiry. The devil would like women to remember that picture in the most negative light. He wants Eve to be seen as the weak link. The one who brought so much misery and shame to the human race. Even though she was deceived and fell into transgression, let us not miss an important point. Eve was the one who identified the enemy. In spite of the shame she felt, Eve understood and described accurately what had happened and who the instigator was, setting the stage for God to announce the rematch. Hers are the only coherent human words spoken in this passage. Let us be strengthened by seeing this passage in Genesis 3 without distorting the lens the enemy has used for so long. Like Eve, women know who the enemy is. For It's not men. That's, that's a false distortion, a perversion by humanism that would be flowing out in the feminist agenda to point a finger and blame another human being, and namely men. That's missing the whole point. That's just as much a demonic distortion of any of the religious spirits that I've been referring to. So let's be clear on that. But like Eve, women know who the enemy is. Furthermore, Satan knows that her seed will eventually destroy him. He was told all those thousands of years ago, that, that woman's seed, she go, it's going to destroy It's going to crush your head. That day is coming. It's time for a change. This is Dr. Silvosa's words, not mine. It's time for a change, he writes. It's time for women not to pay attention to Satan's demeaning remarks so often channeled through those who look at the exterior and miss the wealth stored inside of them. I've seen women and friends of mine that I've known for years. I mean, they have so much spiritual gold inside of them. They're so quiet. Sometimes it's a personality and that's fine. But sometimes there's something else at play. But God is raising up to release all the gold that he's put in the church. So often, it's time for women not to pay attention to Satan's demeaning remarks. So often channeled through those who look at the exterior. I already read that. And miss the wealth stored inside of them. Women do not need a human platform to be heard. Because God has given them considerable spiritual height from which to speak. They are designed to be influencers and shapers 
Nowhere is this more important than when it comes to playing key roles in God's strategic plans for the end times. Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.